For the rest of the time this morning, we're currently in this series that we're calling What You Really Want and How to Get It, What You Really Want. And I said that the answer of what you really want is peace in every area of your life, and that's what Jesus promised. Before he left this planet, as recorded in John's Gospel, chapter 14 and verse 27, Jesus said this, peace I leave with you. What kind of peace? My peace. Jesus said the kind of peace that he has, the peace that he has with the Father, and in knowing that God always keeps his promises. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. The world gives based on circumstances, but, but Jesus' peace is external to circumstances. It's, it circumvents circumstances. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. What we've discovered is that to have God's peace, we have to have a right relationship with him and do things his way. He designed us. And so everything works better when we do things God's way. Now, we've been talking about the family for several weeks. And last week I started talking about raising children and I didn't get finished, so we just quit. So uh, this week we're just gonna call it Raising Children Part Two, okay? We're gonna get to uh, the five, uh, five uh, principles of discipline in a minute. That's where we started, stopped right before we got there. But let's go, uh, let's talk about that a little bit more. No job is as important as properly raising your children. I said last week, if you gain the whole world and lose your children to Satan, or to rebellion or whatever, what have you gained? We began last week with something Paul the Apostle said. It was a part of this discussion of mutual submission in, in Ephesians chapter five and six. Chapter five, he said, we all ought to submit to one another. In the family, we submit to one another. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husband, love your wives. And then in chapter six, he starts like this. Ephesians 6, one, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children are commanded to obey their parents because God has put parents in charge because children can't make good decisions on their own. Obedience is essential to the child's well-being uh, and, 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 and to their relationship with God. Obedience is essential to the parent's sanity uh, and to society. And I have been referencing, <clears throat> I'm gonna continue to today, a book called 12 Rules for Life written by Jordan B. Peterson. I told you last week, Jordan Peterson, Dr. Peterson, uh, says he thinks he might be a Christian, but he doesn't believe in God, so he is not a Christian guy. Of course, he doesn't believe in God. Uh, interestingly enough, though, the principles that he comes up with are God's principles. He seems to be a pretty open-minded guy that just, instead of being politically correct, he just looks for the truth in things. So I'm going to be referencing his book a little bit more this morning, but, but Dr. Peterson says this. Parents are the, by the way, he's Canadian. He is a clinical psychologist. He's taught at Harvard and University of Toronto. So those are kind of his, his background. Uh, Dr. Peterson says, parents are the arbiters of society. An arbiter is somebody who stands in place of someone else, right? An arbiters of society. They teach children how to behave so that other people will be able to interact meaningfully and productively with them. Children, obey your parents. Parents, teach your children to obey. Verse two, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Honor carries the idea of respect, reverence, holding high esteem. And while obey ends with the establishment of a new family, you know, uh, 
a man shall leave father and mother and, and, and be united with his wife. While obey ends there, honor is a lifetime commitment. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment of the promise. And here's the promise, verse 3, so that it may go well with you. I don't know about you, but I want it to go well for me. I, I hate to, to, to do anything so it won't go well with me, but so it will go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Uh, there's a general principle, obedience fosters self-discipline, which in turn brings stability and longevity. It's improbable that an undisciplined person is going to get, live a long, smooth life. So it's good for children, and it's good for parents, and it's good for society when we follow God's commandments and teach children to honor and obey. Verse 4, fathers. I think uh, fathers are addressed, as I said last week, they represent the governmental head of the family on whom res rests the responsibility of child discipline, but it certainly uh, moms and dads have to be together in disciplining their children. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Exasperate, most translations are provoke to anger or don't provoke to wrath. And it seems to refer to discouraging children by things like unreasonable demands and petty rules and favoritism or inconsistency where you say one thing and do another thing or you say one thing one time and do another thing uh, another time or, or where you discipline for something once and you don't discipline for the other five or ten times. Instead of that, parents are to nourish their children up to provide their physical and spiritual needs in the training and instruction of the Lord. In other words, the Lord is to be the center of their relationship and their teaching and their learning. So I gave you some principles. We started out with this, uh, some principles for raising children. Number one, put God first in everything. I always start with that because that's where everything starts, right? Put God first in everything. That's the focus of bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. How do I do that? Well, Principle number one, first, my top priority as a parent is for me to love God. If I don't love God, I can't teach anybody else to love God. If I don't love God, my children can see right through those phony words uh, that I speak. So my first, my top priority is as a parent to love God. Secondly, after I've learned to love God, my second priority is to teach my children to love God, right? After I learn and after I really love God and after I put God first in my life, I can teach my children. And I made this statement to you last week. If you lovingly lead your children to love and serve God, they will not reject you. They will love you. Don't be afraid. Oh, no, if I put a rule and make my children obey the rules that they're, gonna, they're not going to like me anymore. Not true. If you let them rule, they will lose respect for you. A couple of quotes from Dr. Peterson. He said this, children are damaged when those charged with their care, afraid of any conflict or upset, oh no, we, we don't want the kids to get mad, no longer dare to correct them and leave them without guidance. Children are damaged when we leave them without guidance. And he also says this, if a child has not been taught to behave properly by the age of four, it will be forever difficult for him or her to make friends. Is that true? Well, it's not God speaking here. It's, it's this doctor. But uh, it's something to think about. You know, those first five years, whew, that's so important. First five years in a child's life to get it right for them. Does that mean it's hopeless? No, it doesn't mean it's hopeless. Never hopeless. But those first five years are so important. If your children are to grow up
to be the men and women, the husbands and wives, the servants of God, the responsible citizens, the good adults that they should be, you have to win their hearts for God. And it's easier done early than late. Second principle, teach your children honor mother and father. You know, honor your mother and your father. First commandment with a promise. Honoring their mother is the way boys learn to honor and respect uh, women and become real men. Talked about that last week. Not going to take a lot of time with it now, but boys need to learn to respect women. And they do that when they respect their mom. Daughters must, of course, respect both parents as, as sons should, but they need to love and be, they need to be loved and respected as a female from an early age. And they need that special relationship with dad that's going to keep them from looking for love in other places. So that's second principle. And here's where we left off last week. We left off with principle number three, which is establish and enforce guidelines. You know, there are rules and they have to be rules. A lot of parents uh, don't, are afraid their kids won't love them if they don't, if they are too strict with rules. But if you discipline them now, they'll be your friend later. If you're mom and dad now, you can be friend later. And quoting from Andy Stanley, later is longer. You know, later lasts a long time. I'm in the later stage, you know, with my kids. And it just goes on and on, and, and it's really great. Now, <clears throat> what we were really talking about last week was how far do you go? What do you do? I mean, this discipline thing, how do you handle that? I gave you a couple of principles. Uh, number one, I said rules are good. Uh, we have this idea that rules just restrict. and uh, Well, no, rules are good. Scientific literature clearly indicates that strict limitations facilitate rather than inhibit creative achievement. Quoting from uh, Dr. Peterson again there. So rules are good. Number two, all children are sinners and they will test the rules for their own pleasure. That's what kids do. Some of those commercials about that's what, you know, that's what kids do. They, they're going to push it a little bit. They're going to ring your bell. They're going to rattle your chain. They're going to do whatever. We got a call one time when, when our oldest son was in the first grade. And his teacher called us and she said, I, I have something to tell you. It's so horrible, so horrible that I don't want to say it over the phone and I'm trying to keep it off your son's per, uh, you know, permanent record. Could you please come in for a conference? And we're going, oh my gosh, he's, he's six or five or whatever it was. What's going on? So we go into school and we sit in those little chairs, you know, where your knees are sticking up under your chin as first grader chairs. And the teacher said, I don't know how to tell you this. He's in a Christian school, but, but uh, Brad told us he doesn't believe in God. And I'm going, Whew. is that it? Is that it? No, that's what you, uh, he's pulling your chain, lady. He's saying whatever he can to upset you and throw you off your game. And it worked. Kids do stuff like that. You know, they, they just ring the bell all they possibly can. Didn't worry us one bit. Third thing I mentioned is that children differ dramatically. Children, you know, you, some kids you can look at them and they just melt. And some kids, they're ready to do battle. You know, they're just so different from each other. I gave you uh, some verses from Proverbs, but I'm just going to give you this one repeat from last week, Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. There's a hope for your child. It's discipline. Proper guidelines, not harshness, you know, not beating them half to death. No, we're not talking about any of that stuff. Proper guidelines and then consistently enforcing 
those guidelines, and that's hard. Easiest thing is just let them do whatever they want to do. Hardest thing is to enforce the guidelines because if you punish them, you're punished too. That's just the way it works. So, this is really where we left off last week. Dr. Peterson gives, in his book, 12 Rules for Life, he gives five principles of discipline. And I thought these were pretty good. And that's the reason I wanted to pass them along to you. So here they are. Five principles for discipline. If you have a bulletin, there's an outline, they're in the outline. Number one is limit the rules. Too many rules lead to frustration. You know, you get into a, a place where there's a rule for every single thing, you feel like you're in a straitjacket, right? Uh, limit the rules. Now, limit them to what? Well, that's the only thing I'm gonna open the book and read from today, but limit them to what? This is about little kids, uh, but it's common sense stuff. And uh, you know, if you get it under control when they're five, before they're five, it, it doesn't doesn't mean, I mean, tough kids are still tough kids and compliant kids are still compliant kids. But listen to this. Now, he says about that first principle, you might ask, limit the rules to what exactly? Here are some suggestions. Okay, if you got a little one, keep this in mind. If you know somebody that has a little one, here are some suggestions. Do not bite, kick, or hit, except in self-defense. I appreciate that. Do not torture and, bother and bully other children so you don't end up in jail. Eat in a civilized and thankful manner so that people are happy to have you at their house and pleased to feed you. Learn to share so other kids will play with you. Pay attention when spoken to by adults so they don't hate you and might therefore deign to teach you something. Go to sleep properly and peacefully so that your parents can have a private life and not resent your existence. Take care of your belongings because you need to learn how and because you're lucky to have them. Be good company when something fun is happening so that you're invited for the fun. Act so that other people are happy you're around, so that people will want you around. A child who knows these rules will be welcome everywhere. All right, pretty good. I, I, couldn't, I just wanted to read that rather than trying to uh, come up with, with something myself. So you say you limit the rules and then you have to figure out what are we gonna do when one of the rules gets broken? Because every rule you set will be broken. Every single one is going to be broken somewhere along the line. So here's principle number two. Use the least force necessary to enforce those rules. You have to enforce them but you don't have to have a sledgehammer in every situation, right? Use the least force necessary to enforce the rules. Now, Dr. Peterson gives this example from English common law, which has nothing to do with children. Someone comes into your house late at night, and as far as you know, they're not authorized. You have a gun, that gun is loaded, and you have been trained to use it. What do you do? Well, you see a shadow over there and you just unload that gun, everything you've got into that shadow. It turns out to be your neighbor got lost and came in the house or your kid was up getting a drink of water. Right? So that's, that would be 
too much, right? Going too far. So you might start with stop. I have a gun and it's loaded and I'm not afraid to use it. And then if somebody goes, mommy, 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 don't shoot, you know. And uh, if, if somebody stumbles in the light and says, oh, that's not you, Betty. You know, I thought I was, you know, it was in my house. And so they leave. No results. You might fire a warning shot next, right? No results. As a final step, you might have to at this intruder. Now, I'm not giving you any advice there. That's just an example. I'm not saying anything about law. I don't know anything about law. I don't know what in the world I would do. I couldn't even find my gun. I got one, but I don't know if I could find it uh, in a situation like that or not. But here's the principle. See, this is an example. The principle is use the least force necessary, but, but you have to enforce the rules, right? So you, you experiment with that. And I said a while ago, children respond differently. For some, the look is all it takes, right? For some, you say one word and they melt into a heap of crying on the floor like a puddle down there. You know what I talk about. For others, physical restraint might be necessary or maybe a swat on the bottom. Uh, Dr. Peterson seems to, uh, uh, seems to favor a flick with the finger on the back of the hand. I think Jane's mom used to pinch them when they were in church and they were uh, misbehaved. But physical restraint, that's, uh, that might be like, like time out. That's physical restraint, time out. Or uh, helping a child uh, do something. Uh, I forget uh, who I heard this from. I have a name in mind, but I don't want to call this guy's name because it might not be him. But he had a daughter, and uh, she was right coming into her teen years. And she decided she didn't want to go to church anymore. And so the way she would act when it came time on Sunday morning to get dressed for church, she stiffened up. And he said it was like rigor mortis had set in. They could not bend that girl. And so they decided to help her. And he said it took both of them. He and his wife would go in and pry her and dress her completely. And then one would get on one end and one would get on the other and they would carry her out to the car and stuff her into the back seat. Just, they're helping her, phys a little physical restraint, they're helping her. And when they, and he said when they got to church and her friends showed up, everything was great. You know, she was happy and she walked in, but I don't know how long that went on. But for a while, they had to use a little physical restraint. And some might need a SWAT on the behind. That's a good place. You know, it's padded, especially the younger they are. Uh, it's padded. Uh, but now there's this idea that we should never, ever lay a hand on a child. And Dr. Peterson does a great job debunking two myths. I'm not going to get into this too much, but the first myth is there is no excuse for physical punishment. Great section on that here about why that's nonsense. And the second uh, the second myth is this, hitting a child merely teaches the child to hit. He debunks that myth. Let me tell you this, just from my personal view, I've seen kids who have never been struck in their lives by anyone. And, and, and when they get mad, uh, they do everything they can to kick, hit, bite their parents, any other adult around, any kid who's around, and nobody's ever struck them in any way. Nonsense that if you spank a child, 
properly. I'm not talking about abuse. Any parent that abuses a child should be put in jail. But a swat on the behind, the flick on the back of the hand, whatever needs to be done. For discipline to be effective, there has to be both positive and negative components, praise and punishment. On the punishment side, no has to mean this. If you continue to do that, something you don't like is going to happen to you. Otherwise, it means nothing, right? Here's something that's uh, interesting, another quotation from Dr. Peterson. He said, deprivation of liberty, deprivation of liberty, that's like prison? No, that would be deprivation of liberty, right? Deprivation of liberty causes pain in a manner essentially similar to that of physical trauma. So there's pain involved in deprivation of liberty. Todd and I were riding along yesterday and hit his Johnny Cash play, you know, stuck in Folsom Prison, you know, and all about the pain of being in prison. Uh, deprivation of liberty causes pain in a manner essentially similar to that of physical trauma. The same can be said of social isolation. What are we talking about? He says time out causes pain. And we know this neurobiologically. That's a, there, there is a, a, a discipline of science called neurobiology. That is, psychological pain is very similar to physical pain. One works on some kids while the other works on other kids. Pain has a purpose. Pain is good in its purpose. Its purpose is to warn you something is wrong. So if you lay your hand on a hot stove, what do you do? You yank it off right away so that you don't lose your old hand. Why do you do that? Pain. Pain has a purpose. All negative reinforcement, whether it's, honey, I don't, don't you do that again and they melt to the floor, or whatever it is. All negative reinforcement involves pain. Have you ever said or heard somebody say, I'd rather take a beating than to have to face Dan? You know, I'd rather take a beating. What do they mean by that? The pain involved in facing him, just, just punch me, rather than making me have to go, go face Dan. Uh, you're not doing your child any favors by overlooking their misbehavior deal with it appropriately and so rule number two there is the least amount of force necessary right some force is necessary but the least amount of force necessary number three parents should come in pairs there should be a mom and a dad uh, we each have our weaknesses raising young children is so demanding that we need each other. It takes two to do the job. Does that mean that you're hopeless if you're a single parent? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Uh, it's just difficult, more difficult. It's already tough, it becomes tougher. If you're a single parent, you may need to get some help. You may, maybe you, you can't do it all by yourself. Maybe you need to go to your mom and dad or your best friends or somebody to help you because it can be tough. But here's a quote, again, another quote from Dr. Peterson about Parents should come in pairs. Parents should come in pairs so the father of a newborn can watch the new mother so she won't get worn out and do something desperate after hearing her colicky baby wail from 11 in the evening until 5 in the morning 
for 30 nights straight in a row. Sometimes you do desperate things that, that are not the right thing to do. We need a little help. There have been times when we were raising our boys that Gene had to calm me down and help me think straight because I kind of lost my focus. There were a few times when I had to stand physically to restrain her because she was about to, she wanted to beat one of our boys to death, you know, because of their stupidity. So I had to just stand there and hold her back. But, you know, parents, that's the reason we need to, God designed it that way. Two parents helping each other, encouraging each other, uh, restraining each other, if that's necessary. Rule number four. Parents should understand their own capacity to be harsh, vengeful, arrogant, resentful, angry, and deceitful. Ooh, those are terrible words, aren't they? You can do that. You get pushed enough, you can do all of those things right there. Right? Harsh, vengeful, arrogant, resentful, angry, deceitful. Every one of us has our limits of how far we can be pushed. Each of us is capable of doing things we should not do. By the way, when we don't do our job to start with, you know, we don't discipline the way we should uh, as parents and do it in a God way, what's gonna happen is eventually, boom, we're gonna blow. Uh, parents, eventually, they will lash out randomly and unpredictably. So parents should understand, you are capable of doing bad things as I am, and we need to keep that in mind. Number five, last rule, parents have a duty to act as proxies for the real world. Again, similar wording used in, in another statement that I made earlier, but a proxy is one who stands in for another one. So if, if, if you might vote as my proxy or something of that nature. <clears throat> and here's a, a quotation from Dr. Peterson, this responsibility uh, that is, of being proxy. You're going to stand in, you're going to say, this is the way the world is, and I need to get you ready to go out there and live in this world. The responsibility, this responsibility supersedes any responsibility to ensure happiness, to foster creativity, or to boost self-esteem. Now, there's the there's big three. That's what we parents are supposed to do, right? Ensure happiness, foster creativity, boost self-esteem. And Peterson says, now, uh, proxies for the real world, that's the main thing. And, and, and here's a statement that'll come on the screen. It is the primary duty, we'll talk about this in a minute, of parents to make their children socially desirable. The number one thing we're supposed to do as parents, he says, is to make our children socially desirable. Well, I just said, in my opinion, the primary thing that a person should do is number one, learn to love God himself and then teach his children to love God. And I stand by that, regardless of what Dr. Peterson says. But that makes it easier to do what he's talking about here, which is make your children socially desirable. So he says that will provide the child. If that child can go out into society and deal with people and be liked by people and not be avoided by people, that will provide the child with opportunity, self-regard, and security. The five rules, that's enough. Uh, limit the rules, right? So five should be plenty. Let me, let me give you four stages of parenting and then we're going to move on to one last little thing. Four stages of parenting. 
first there's a discipline year, one through five. If you can get it in one through five, it's gonna make it a whole lot easier. I didn't say it's gonna make it easy, easier. I mean, I don't care how old they are, there's stuff that's gonna happen and you'd say, where did that come from? No, where, what planet does this, did this kid grow up on anyway? But the discipline years, one through five. Number two, the training years, five through 12. So you start school, right? About five, that's, that's, that's starting school. Uh, about 12, puberty kick, kicks in, right? So coaching years, 12 through 18, and then friendship years over 18, the longer, you know, 18 and over, not always, but 18 and over uh, it, uh, is the longer time. Training, discipline, training, coaching, friendship. And each of these, the, the rules change a little bit. Huh? The principles stay the same, but the rules can change. What time, you know, can I go out? Can I not go out? Those, those kinds of things, you know, are going, to, are going to change. And we have to change that. We have to realize that as the kids get older, they need more freedom. As the kids get older, they, uh, they need the responsibility of making good decisions or not. Let me just tell you one story from my background and then I'm gonna move on. But uh, uh, my dad spanked with his belt. I heard a Christian comedian or a comedian one time talking about starting a lawnmower, you know, off came the belt. And then he would grab me by my left arm and he was, he'd been a sailor, but he had forearms bigger than my calves and he would get me by, the, and he was shorter than me. Get me by this arm and we'd dance around and around the circle, you know. And I don't know how many times he'd hit me, three or four times or something like that. It seemed like forever and ever because I started screaming long before he ever entered the room. I was screaming about what was going to happen. And, and so, you know, that happens maybe up through the training years. But um, I think, I think I was about 16 years old. And we were in the living rooms at the house and, and uh, my mischievous younger brother threw a shoe at me. And I ducked and it hit the bedroom door where my dad was resting. And the door swung open. Vroom, you know, actually he just carried it out in his hand because he was resting. But anyway, he got a hold of me and um, something happened that had never happened before. I didn't cry, I just stood there. I would never raise my hand to him I would never raise my voice to him. I just stood there and he gave me a whack or two and we looked at each other and we knew that was too far. This won't ever happen again. It doesn't work anymore. Th different things and different methods work. Different age. I'm not telling you to rip your belt off. I'm talking to my barber about it. He's he has a, a razor strop on his wallet. It was his father's. He'd been, you know, spanked with that a few times. So I'm not telling you, I'm not telling you how far to go with your children. But I'm just saying, least force necessary, but if it's necessary, do what you have to do. Uh, so establish and enforce guidelines. One more thing, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Spend time with your children. <laughs> spend time with your children. This may be the most powerful way that we express acceptance and that we express rejection. Spend time, eat meals together. There's nothing better to do as a family than eat together. Uh, it's hard, to, you know, kids get older, I know. The more kids you get, the different ages that they are, the harder it is to spend time together. But have a meal together if you can. Do things together, have fun together. I know the older the kids get, they don't wanna do that anymore. 
I understand all that, but start young and, and you can have fun the rest of your life. Raymond and Valmasia have been going to the mountains since the beginning of time, I think. You know, I know from the 30 years I've been around here, they've been going to the mountains. And then when Sharon was a little girl, she went to the mountains with them. And when she grew up and got married, they went to the mountains together. And when Jonathan and Jenny were born, they all went to the mountains together and they still go to the mountains occasionally. I mean, you can get it going. There's something that you like to do together. And I want you to think about this at some, th at some time. When you get impatient <clears throat> about spending time with the kids, at some point, whatever you're doing, whatever fun you're having, will come to an end. So enjoy it while you can. Kids grow up. Grandkids don't want to come over like they used to come over. Connor and I used to love to tra chase trains together. Uh, whenever I was going anywhere and he hadn't started school, a lot of times I'd go by and pick him up. He'd hop in the car seat in the back and we'd go do whatever we are going to do. But if we heard a train whistle, we had to find where that train was and we'd chase that train down, get ahead of it, jump out of the car, run up close enough where we could feel the vibration while that thing went by. And maybe, you know, the horn would blow, a whistle would blow, or maybe the there would be a guy on the back uh, who would wave to us. And then we'd have to get in and we'd rush ahead and get down and do it all over again. And if we'd been riding around a lot and we couldn't find a, a, a train, we'd just stop at one of our favorite places and wait a while, hoping a train uh, would come by. And then we would go to Mr. Mike's barbershop and we'd both get a haircut. Afterwards, we'd go down to the train yard, main train yard in Pensacola. And we'd walk uh, the train track and we'd pick up a train rock and an old spike and a bolt. I've got a pile of rocks and bolts and spikes right outside of my front door right now. Part of those were my boys and I collected when we used to go to the mountains and part of them are, are train rocks. Now, I remember that with fondness. Connor remembers that with fondness. But somewhere along the line, that ended. I don't remember the last time we, we looked at a train together. Don't remember it. I don't even remember the first time we looked at a train together. But we love doing that. I love doing that. He loved doing that. We don't do that anymore. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying we should, right? Because he has different interests and I have different interests and he's different age and, and, and all those kinds of things. All I'm saying is one day, one day there was the last time we ever did that. Don't think it's going to go on forever. It isn't. Take advantage of it and enjoy it while you can spend time with your children. There are a few things so important <clears throat> as raising your children. It is a lifetime, full-time job, or you can say a full-time lifetime job. I don't care what, but it's lifetime. It's, it, it doesn't end with adulthood. It's a lifetime, full-time job. Once you have children, your life changes forever into eternity. Even if you outlive your children, you are still a parent and your life has still forever changed. Here's why we're on this planet. Genesis chapter one, verse 27 says this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. From a parental perspective, we have to perpetuate the species by raising children that honor God. And if you do that, if you do that, 
the best of your ability. You're not going to be perfect at it. I'm going to tell you that right now. You're not going to be perfect. I certainly, I regret some stuff. I look back. I did my best, I think. But there's some stuff I, I regret. I wish I'd done more of this and less of that kind of thing. And, and, and your kids aren't going to be perfect like mine. Mine aren't perfect. They, they hide stuff from me. I don't know everything they ever did. Uh, don't feel like a failure just because they're not perfect because they're not going to be perfect. Do the best you can. Pray a lot. Set the, set the guidelines and enforce them to the best of your ability and you're not going to get that right all the time. Do the best you can do before God and he will bless your efforts. Happy parenting. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus and life, for all the good things you do for us. I thank you that you give us children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and all those other things. Thank you for parents who are willing to sacrifice their own lives so that they can raise children who love you and honor you. And once that happens, they love and honor us too. Thank you in Jesus' name.